We're in Luke chapter 10. Father, we love to sing your praise. We love to repeat back to you the things that you have said to us about who you are. We love to tell you about the things that you've done in our lives, but more than that, Lord, we just love who you are. Sometimes the things appear to be good that you do in our lives. Sometimes life seems very difficult, but you are always good. And we're glad to tell you so. And now, Father, with our hearts open before you, we ask that you will speak to us through your word. May the Spirit who inspired the word give us understanding of it. In Jesus' name, amen. It's a familiar passage, isn't it? Let me read you a little story. A man in a hot air balloon realized he was lost. He reduced altitude and spotted a woman below. He descended a bit more and shouted, Excuse me, can you help me? I promised a friend I would meet him an hour ago, but I don't know where I am. The woman below replied, You're in a hot air balloon hovering approximately 30 feet above the ground. You are between 40 and 41 degrees north and 59 and 60 degrees west. You must be an engineer, said the balloonist. I am, said the woman. How did you know? Well, answered the balloonist, everything you told me is technically correct, but I have no idea what to make of your information, and the fact is I'm still lost. Frankly, you've not been much help so far. The woman below responded, you must be in management. I am, said the balloonist. How did you know? Well, said the woman, you don't know where you are or where you're going. You have risen to where you are due to a large quantity of hot air. You made a promise which you have no idea how to keep, and you expect people below you to solve your problems. The fact is you are in exactly the same position you were in before we met, but now somehow it's my fault. It is very easy to define people in categories, isn't it? I wonder how you define yourself, how you describe yourself. If you're of a certain age, you could call yourself retired and put yourself in that category. If you are in a certain condition of life, you could call yourself an unemployed. If you come from another country, you call yourself an immigrant. You might call yourself young or old or male or female. And in so doing, slightly define the way you see yourself. Luke 10, verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. You have heard lots of messages on this, haven't you? Are you a Mary or a Martha? You know, because you've been told, haven't you? You're either a busy, busy, busy one, so that makes you a Martha, or you're a kind of relaxed, chilled out, do let things pass you by, Mary kind of person. That's not quite what this is all about, actually. It's about being released from old patterns of thinking, 
categories and so forth. Here's another little story, because you like stories, don't you? One evening, a man came home from work to find total mayhem in the house. His three children were in the garden, still in their pyjamas, playing in the mud with empty food boxes and wrappers strewn all around. Walking into the lounge, he found an even bigger mess. A lamp had been knocked over, the TV was blaring out a cartoon channel, and toys and various items of clothing were scattered all over the floor. In the kitchen, dishes filled the sink, breakfast food was spilled on the counter, dog food was spilled on the floor, a broken glass lay under the table, and a small pile of sand was spread by the back door. He quickly headed up the stairs, stepping over toys and piles of clothes, looking for his wife. He was worried she might be ill, or that something serious might have happened. He found her lounging in the bedroom, still curled up in the bed in her pyjamas, reading a novel. She looked up at him, smiled, and asked him how his day went. He looked at her, bewildered, and asked, What happened here today? She again smiled and answered, You know every day when you come home from work and ask me what in the world I did today? Yes, he said. Well, today I didn't do it. Defined by categories. From Luke 9.51, you'll find the emphasis of Luke's gospel becomes a kind of journey. We're told that Jesus sets his face towards Jerusalem and from chapter 9 right through to chapter 19 that it's all compiled as a journey. So we have here in verse 30, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way. We know that Jesus went up and back to Jerusalem more than once, but Luke puts it like that. And it's a physical journey from the north to the south, Jerusalem's in the south, but it's also a spiritual journey. It's a journey that's come from eternity into time, come from heaven onto earth to deal with the affairs of men. And the final phase of that plan is in view and Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem to deal with the most important issue. This is a story about priorities, about changing the way people see themselves. Jesus didn't come to tinker about things, but to help us see who we are and what we are here for. Now the Old Testament says a good deal about women, and positively too. The place of women in those days is an ambivalent thing, but in the Old Testament, for example, the book of Ruth, she comes over with glowing credentials. The book of Esther, you don't get much better than that. And the Deborah, the prophetess, Jael, if that's how you pronounce her name, both in the book of Judges, come over very positively indeed. And there's a wonderful woman in Proverbs 31. But in the period between the Old Testament and the New Testament, the intertestamental period, it seems that the reputation and esteem of women dropped considerably. I'm going to quote from someone of that time who said this about women. He said this, Do not sit down with women. He's a Jew, by the way. A Jew, all right? one of God's people. Talking about women in the years between the Old and the New Testament. This is what he says. Don't sit down with women, for moth comes out of clothes and a woman's spite out of a woman. A man's spite is preferable to a woman's kindness. Women give rise to shame and reproach. And that really blesses you ladies, doesn't it? This is one of God's people's opinion of women. He cautions men to be wary of their wives, not to trust them, not to give property to them, not to let them support their menfolk. Additionally, he accuses them of being responsible for sin coming into the world, of unbearable spite, and says that daughters 
are a disaster. So if you're living in that kind of culture, we smile now, happily, because we think, what kind of dinosaur is this man? But he was reflecting the current standing of women. Would you have liked to live in those days, ladies? No, you wouldn't. I shouldn't it for a moment. That's an appalling situation, isn't it? We could smile because the situation is very changed now, but still on its way. But if you'd lived in those days, that's how you were considered. A, a Jewish man thanked God every day he wasn't born a Gentile, a woman, or a dog. I don't know how he got round the thought, well, if there weren't any women in the world, where would I be? But anyway, that's male logic for you. So it's not a positive circumstances, but by all accounts, and in the New Testament, as a New Testament opens, a position of women is, by all accounts, at all levels, inferior to women. So Judaism in Jesus' time was completely male-dominated, and gave very little respect to women. The distinction between men and women was so great there was no provision for religious education or the opportunity for worship for women on equal terms to men. And in the pagan world, in addition, women, with few exceptions, were, really, were, were considered to be inferior to men. So the question we have to ask is, did Jesus reinforce this negative view or reform it? You see, we read the New Testament against the 21st century background, but we should read the New Testament against the 1st century background. And now you find this story comes alive in a really dramatic way, don't you? If the prevailing structure gives no opportunity for religious teaching or opportunity for worship for women... Suddenly, the dynamism of this passage grabs you by the throat, doesn't it? If women were considered to be inferior, then men had nothing to do with them. A Jewish man wouldn't even speak to his wife in public. She would always walk behind him. So, this story is only recorded in Luke. But Jesus and the, the folk who wrote about the stories of Jesus, the four evangelists, recognized the rights of women as much as the rights of men. For example, Matthew and Luke both put the place of a woman, Mary, at the heart of the birth narrative. Now we might say, well that's pretty obvious because she's the mother, but you can still tell the story without emphasizing the mother. But both of them do. Matthew, Luke and Mark stress the importance of women in the passion narratives and in the resurrection narratives. They all tell us that it's women who are the first witnesses to the resurrection. Luke especially wants to highlight the place of women in the mission of Jesus. So women are healed, raised from the dead, delivered from evil spirits, able to be saved by faith like men. And the apostolic band of men nonetheless have women on the periphery. Now you and I, from our perspective, think not a lot of this because this is what we would expect. But this is truly earth-changing stuff in the first century. Do you know there's not a single occasion of any woman offering Jesus any kind of opposition whatsoever 
recorded in the Gospel, opposition to Jesus comes exclusively and completely from men. It's a very positive. And despite Ben Sirach saying that they are the source of all sin and spite and all kinds of wickedness. Do you see what Jesus is doing? He's challenging the prevailing view that women are inferior. He's challenged something very profound. No wonder the men got very angry with him. He does it on all sorts of levels, about sinners, about Gentiles, and about women. In Matthew's Gospel, Jesus' family appears and asks to speak with him. Do you remember that? And his reply is this, Who is my mother? And who are my brothers? And it says here in Matthew 12, pointing to his disciples, pointing to his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Could you imagine Jesus pointing to men and saying, Here is my brother and sister and mother? It is inconceivable. He's addressing women as well as men. And Matthew tells us that he was addressing his disciples. So those people who talk about Jesus and you have male disciples don't know what they're talking about. He certainly had women as his disciples, as Matthew makes absolutely plain. No, they're not among the twelve. But then none of the other men are among the twelve either. Once you've got twelve, you've got twelve. So women among his disciples. In a Middle Eastern context, Jesus could not point at men and refer to mother and sister. In Luke's Gospel, we have this in chapter 8. After this, Jesus travelled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. Again, that comment means not a lot to us, but put yourself in a first century context and it is revolutionary. Jesus was traveling from place to place with one band of disciples, including the twelve and others, which included the women. And this implies that they were staying night after night in strange villages, right? He's on a journey, not returning home each day. A Middle Eastern resident whose book I've read knows of no place in traditional society, even today, where this would be possible. Women may travel with a group of men, but they must always spend the night with relatives. This lot didn't. They stayed with Jesus and his disciples. And in addition, women were financing the whole project. Remember what Ben Sirach says? Do not have them support menfolk. And here they are, out of their own resources, providing financial undergirding for the Jesus movement. So the views of Ben Sirach and his ilk are flatly rejected. So what happens when we get to here? We find that Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he had to say. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. When Paul gives his testimony to the crowd, he describes himself in these terms. He says, Under Gamaliel, I was thoroughly trained in the law of our fathers. That's Acts 22. Literally, he says, 
at the feet of Gamaliel. To sit at the feet of a rabbi meant that one was a disciple of that rabbi. So Luke is here telling us that Mary is a disciple of Rabbi Jesus. But Martha is distracted from learning at the feet of Jesus by her cooking. Now, it's not an issue that she can't do the cooking because she needs someone to peel the potatoes. That is not the issue. She sees herself in the way that Ben Sirach and all the other men see her, as one who is not worthy of being taught, who is not worthy of worshipping, whose role is to be within the home, seen and not heard. That's how she sees herself. And her sister has taken herself outside and put herself among the disciples of Jesus. So this is what she's probably thinking. She's probably thinking, this is disgraceful. What will happen to us? My sister has joined this band of men. What are the neighbours going to say? What will the family think? After this, who will marry her? This is too much to expect. Mary has broken out of this corporate thinking and seen herself in completely different light, which Martha has not yet come to. So my friends, this is not about one lady being the doer and the other being the listener. It's about breaking out of old moulds of thinking, the way we imagine ourselves to be, seeing ourselves in a particular category and limiting ourselves. That's the problem. So when Jesus replies to her, he says she must change the way she sees herself. She must not see herself or her sister or any other woman, merely in terms of what they do. Women are able to participate in the fullest way as human beings in God's world. Again, this is not so radical for us as it was for them, but you get the point. So Martha doesn't, sorry, Jesus does not reply to Martha's words, but to their meaning. And in effect, this is what he says. Martha, Martha, you're worried and upset about many things, but I understand everything. Only one thing is needed, and it's not another plate of food. I am providing the meal, and your sister has chosen the good portion, and I'll not allow you to take it away from her. A good student is more important to me than a good meal. She needs to have her perceptions changed. Jesus is challenging her to see herself not as a woman, but as a human being made in the image of God. Do you know why Jesus got on with everybody? Because he didn't treat them as kings and paupers. He treated them as people who happened to be a king or a pauper. He didn't treat them as adults and children, but as people who happened to be adults or children. He didn't treat them as Gentiles or Jews. He treated them as people who happened to be Gentiles or Jews. Do you get the point? Not as categories. And we still use categories in society, often to disparage groups of people. If you want to start pointing accusing fingers about what's wrong in our society, Newspapers use pejorative words like immigrants, don't they? And group people together and use one word. It's a kind of blame word, isn't it? Whatever may be the real situation about that, I'm not able to say. But you see how we do it. We put people in a category. 
So you hear about the numbers of unemployed people. They're real people with real families. But you lump them together and they're just a number, aren't they? Another number. And it takes them off the shelf a little bit. And people think of themselves as being retired. And when you're retired or when you're old, you can't do things because you're retired or because you're old. You won't find that in the Bible, will you? And we seem to think at some point that there's a magic time in life when children suddenly can enter fully into the things of God. The Bible doesn't see that. They are people made in the image of God. Presumably a little babe in arms is less able to understand the things of God than you or I. But nonetheless, God can connect. And little Samuel was only tiny, wasn't he? So in view of the Gospel records, there's no basis for supposing that Jesus shared the contemporary Jewish view of women's place in the world. His liberated approach was quite revolutionary. Now in our society, the issue of men and women is largely going away, happily and delightfully, as it ought to. But my point for you this morning is this, do not see yourself as a category, but see yourself as a person. It is all too easy for us to put ourselves in a category and because that category largely is composed of other people who do this and the other, we think we are bound by the same constraints. We are not, my friends. If you are old in years, then what you bring to the Church of Jesus Christ and to the world at large is the wisdom of the years. If you are young in years, you bring the enthusiasm of youth to others. And don't we need both? If you're retired, it means you have opportunity, perhaps, not to be so bound up in doing work that will bring money in. Perhaps you will be freer to do those things which don't necessarily bring in money, but really bless other people. You are still able to work, isn't that true? According to your different circumstances. And so forth. So Jesus came to challenge prevailing thinking and it will be Paul who will later say, in Christ Jesus there's no Jew or Gentile, no male or female, no bond or slave. We're all one in Christ Jesus. And when we see ourselves like that, we don't write ourselves off in any country. I could not do that because... Dot, dot, dot. Well, it may be that we cannot do it because. There's good reason. I'm in a wheelchair, so I cannot run the marathon in a normal, able-bodied way. Fine, there are restrictions on things. But I mustn't put myself in a category that therefore brings the restrictions. And of course, what this story also tells us is that though, though work is a godly function, is a gift from God, we can use work to hide behind and not to get involved in the things of God. We have in this modern world, given an unparalleled emphasis to work. It's become the all-consuming thing. And somehow we've, we've, in the same time, rejected as, as a gift from God. Work is God's gift. It's not an imposition, it's a gift. But we've also idolized it and given it a significance it cannot bear. Work is a gift from God, but so is leisure, rest, play, enjoyment, worship, and all the other things that make up life. And Martha also has to be prized on thinking that it's not just about work, but it's also about the other 
functions. So don't let the categories we tend to employ to describe people limit in any way the way we see ourselves. And Jesus says to Martha, Martha, Martha. He's not just saying don't fuss. Go back in your kitchen and get on with it. And I'll talk to your sister. He's saying, Martha, you see yourself too, with too many limitations. You are someone made in the image of God, in the likeness of God. And you can be a full participant in all that I've come to bring. In Genesis 1, God made the male and female together to mirror the image of God. Not, it's not male, it's not female, it's male and female. In Genesis 2, God makes Adam a partner and he takes Eve and brings him to her. She compliments Adam. Everything he is not, she is. And everything she is not, he is. They complement each other, which is what should happen in society. When Paul writes to the Ephesians about marriage, he says, men and women have different responsibilities. And in the same book and in chapter 4, he speaks about different ministries. But he doesn't say some of these are for women and some are for men. He says it's according to the gifting of the Spirit. So we should see ourselves recognizing the changing circumstances of our lives and the realistic limitations that may come on us from time to time. Absolutely. A mother with a babe in arms is severely restricted in what she might otherwise do simply because she has, rightly so, large responsibilities to a child who de depends entirely on them. But that won't always be the case. There will be a time when that child will actually look after the mother and the changes will happen. But we have to say, Lord, I'm yours. What would you like me to get involved in? So let's break out of our thinking, any thinking that limits what we think we can do and embrace the whole gospel. Let me pray. Father, we know that um, we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That each one of us here bears the image of God. Everyone made in the image of God, created to bring you praise and adoration. So here we are, Lord, at the beginning of a new week, having praised you and adored you and worshipped you and glorified you, and offered our praise and prayers and thanks to you. And as we embark upon a new week, help us to do so without restricting or limiting in any way what you may wish to do through us. Help us to see beyond our normal limitations. And if we are in any way limiting those things, Lord, challenge our thinking and bring us to the place where we embrace fully all that you have for us. To our delight and to your praise and glory. Amen.